Darkly Lit, where we would like to thank our good friend Abysme for creating the theme music for our podcast. <laughs> I am your host, Kayla King. I'm joined by my other two wonderful co-hosts, we have Sade. Hello. And David. Spoilers, a dog dies of old age in this story. <laughs> Just, or I should say, content warning. Forgot about that. I know it. Like I know it happens, but I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> technically a dog does die in this. And off camera too, or off off page, but yeah. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Pepper. A moment of silence for Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> so we just finished reading theme music by T. Marie Vandelli. Uh, this was David's choice. It was, um, and I suppose I should be the one to summarize it then, huh? Yep. Okay. So theme music is the story of Dixie Wheeler, who is the sole survivor of a family massacre that takes place in Virginia. Apparently, her father, in a random moment, one Thanksgiving in 1992, uh, butchers the rest of her family with an axe and then slits his own throat. The reason Dixie is known as Baby Blue is because that song is playing on loop when she's discovered by a friend of the family and neighbor kid who becomes relevant later on in the story. 25 years later, uh, Dixie discovers that her family home is for sale, and she feels this weird itch in the back of her mind to to purchase it, to connect with a family that she never knew. Dixie, up to that point, had been raised by her Aunt Celia and her uh, Uncle Ford. Uh, Dixie uh, tries to move in, tries, you know, actually does get the place, despite the fact that she only works at a restaurant, but we'll bring that up later. Her boyfriend Garrett also supports her in the house, but she doesn't tell him that it's the house that her family was murdered in until later, and he refuses to set foot in it. Everybody she mentions this to thinks it's really weird and creepy that she wants to live in the house her family died in, and she can't really seem to express that, no, it's not creepy, I'm just trying to connect with the family I never knew. But it is creepy because once she sets foot in the house, weird shit starts happening. She starts having visions, and ghostly figures begin to appear of her butchered family. But are they spirits, or are they hallucinations? It's hard to say. But over time, more people start popping up in her life as she kind of starts to explore the nature of the murders through her Uncle Davis, who is thoroughly convinced that her father had nothing to do with it. She acquires a bunch of the old family furniture and sets up the house to a point where it feels almost like obsession to the photos and things that she's found. Through this process, she finds some of the crime scene photos and starts to notice that things don't add up. Uh, she gets in touch with the detective, Mr. Collins, who was the who, investigating the case 25 years ago, forms an odd sort of friendship with him over the course of the story. She reconnects with Rory, who was the neighbor, who was the one who discovered her and, the, and witnessed the murders, someone who she's been, she's had a crush on since she was very young and has done some admittedly very creepy things involving a stalking phase when she was in her 20s even though he's a good 15-ish years older than her things kind of get a bit rocky with her and Garrett especially once Rory enters the picture she meets her next door neighbor Vicky and uh, she also gets approached for a story by a woman named Claire somehow as the story progresses the bodies start piling up Uh, her hallucinations get worse Claire is discovered dead out in the woods, and the last place that Dixie saw her was in her house, where after she basically falls down the stairs and passes out, Claire goes missing, and she has no idea if she is responsible for the murders. She worries about her sanity. Long story short, too late, (laughs) the spoilery thing that happens in the end is that, or toward the end, is that Rory seems to be confronting her about Claire's phone that he finds in her attic when they're poking around in her attic. She wonders if he's trying to frame her. It gets revealed that the death of Rory's girlfriend, previous girlfriend, Erin, might have been caused by Dixie. Whether it was an accident or a murder is never quite explicitly stated. But a shadowy figure that um, she has witnessed before, namely in the 
mercy killing of her cousin Leah when she was very young. Mercy killing being smothering with a pillow. The same shadowy figure that she thinks might be the spirit of her father beats Rory to death with a bit of metal bed bed frame. And now she's worried she has a corpse in her attic. More stuff happens. Uh, She learns through some circumstances that she's been lied to her whole life. And her father, who she thought was dead, has actually been in an insane asylum and is unable to talk because he had slashed his own vocal cords. He also uh, brain damaged to a degree because of the lack of blood to his brain. She goes to try and visit him to get answers. It doesn't really yield anything. But when she gets home to try and figure things out with Garrett, she learns that her father has gone missing from the asylum. And now things are getting even weirder. Now that she knows he's alive, she starts to wonder if the ghost of her father was real or if it's just her sanity fraying. Garrett, weirdly enough, sticks by her, even in the midst of all of these revelations about her and her antics, let's just say. Uh, It all comes to a head when the real culprit finally gets revealed. No, her father had nothing to do with it. It was actually Ford, her uncle. He had a weird vendetta against her father and on a whim, went ahead and just chopped the fuck out of his family, left her alive, and had been doing all this stuff in the background to try and make Dixie go crazy and kill herself. There's a big climactic scene at the end in which, finally, she's able to slit Ford's throat. And then we get an epilogue where everything is great. And she's apparently recovered, has kids with Garrett, still living in the same house, And it's a weirdly saccharine ending, but we'll get around to that eventually. And that, in a nutshell, is theme music. Good summary. Thank you. You have to understand, I have to move around certain things because this is a weird story with a lot of weird beats and leaves me with a lot of head-scratching questions, despite the fact that ultimately I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the ride, but I think the ending left me kind of wanting. Actually, that was going to be my question. What did you guys think of this? Or the ending left David wanting, the whole book left me wanting more. <laughs> there was no depth to the characters for me. You know, circumstances, they're just like, huh, okay, sure, okay. Dixie herself also was a very, what's the term, like reactive character? Or even that she wasn't very good at doing things <laughs> for herself. Yeah. Um, and I'll complain a lot about that, especially with the ending. But also, like, five minutes in. So, okay, I was excited to read this book because multiple TikToks from Book Talk were like, oh, man, this book was disturbing. Like, this kind of fucked me up a little. And I was like, awesome, give me. That's what I want. Fuck me up, please. And so I was excited kind of going into this just knowing it was like someone's moving back into a haunted house or something. That's really the extent of what I knew. Five minutes in when she's like, my father murdered my family and I'm returning to that home. I was like, oh, fuck you. That is the premise of one of my favorite absolute books that I have almost chosen for Darkly Lit multiple times and then keep like skittering away with it being like, I have to like (laughs) gatekeep this book. But now it's for sure happening next season. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, you want fucked up? I'm going to give you a proper family massacre child that was surviving and left wondering why me. So we'll get the real good, better version of that <laughs> next season. I promise you that. So, but yeah, five minutes in, I was like, oh, you are, got some stuff, like stiff competition. And then another five minutes in, I was like, oh, this isn't going to be fun. So I had really had to force myself to get through this. I didn't hate it. We've definitely read way worse. But overall, I was just like, I read it. <laughs> That's it. I think the prologue to this it was very good. I didn't know there was another book that had that similar premise. So when I read the prologue, I'm like, this is a great setup. I'm mm. I'm on board for this. I love the fact that everybody's like, you are a fucking crazy bitch. But I totally understand why. I, in a weird way, my brain was thinking, okay, I can see why you would want to buy this house. I can understand it from a certain point. But I like the fact that there's a bunch of people saying, Dixie, you crazy bitch. Throughout the book, things that grabbed me were like her moments where it seems like she's questioning her sanity. And by the end of it, I knew for a fact that this woman has mental issues. She has some sort of personality disorder without a doubt in my mind. Bare minimum schizophrenia. Yeah, either schizophrenia or um, dissociative identity disorder. But yeah, like 
everything points to that. And it makes sense because when she was a baby, she witnessed something traumatic. And usually these types of personality disorders, like I know for a fact that dissociative identity disorder is caused when a traumatic thing happens to a child before they're too old to really comprehend it. So I was like, ooh, okay, I'm curious to see how this goes. And the ending was disappointing for me. That The mm. ending was really, and for the most part, I enjoy this ride, but throughout I'm like, but wait, why did this happen? Why did this happen? Why did this happen? There's some flavor in here that I really do like. For example, setting it in Virginia, it feels like small town <laughs> Virginia. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like I'm like, oh yeah, this is the South. Yep, the way people are talking. Yep, this feels like the South. I did enjoy that. I think Dixie is, this was a character I would be like, what the fuck are you doing? Who thinks like that? But then again, okay, so like there's moments where like, Garrett should have broken up with her a while ago. For oh, example. hell yeah. I agree there. Like long suffering boyfriend Garrett. But her reaction to certain situations is kind of wild to me. For example, Garrett catches Rory. He finds him in her house while she's not there. So, of course, he's justifiably pissed. And then later on, she's like, yeah, maybe I should call Garrett and ask him to come over. I'm like, have you not comprehended the fact that he's probably pissed at you and on the verge of breaking up with you? Are you insane? Why are you acting like, oh, it's not that big of a deal? And like, oh, I should call Carrie. Oh, maybe not. But the thing is, though, I've known people like this. This is someone I don't relate to at all. <laughs> I'm going to go a step further. As the book progressed, I I started to find Dixie more and more of a narcissist, and I just did not like her. That's why I kept um, thinking, like, of course she has a personality disorder. This is yeah. absolutely someone with yeah. a personality disorder. And so the, the unreliable narrator part, like the very biased voice of it, I actually thought was like, okay, I, I this is a character I'm not supposed to like, and yet I still feel like, or have, or have a complicated relationship with, and yet I kind of still want her to get to the truth and find out what actually happened and have there be some sort of closure <laughs> to the whole thing, which is why I really don't like the ending. Yeah. Because the ending is far too, uh, everything gets trapped up in a neat little bow. It doesn't appear to me in any capacity through all that, that she even considers going to any kind of therapy or identifying. Mm -hmm. As far as we're concerned, she thinks that the ghosts of her family are real. This is what bugs me with the book for the most part, is the fact that she sees visions of her dad as a ghost. And then it turns out he's, he's alive. So it's like, okay, clearly this is in your mind. She goes to visit her father in the asylum. She actually has a vision of him standing up and talking to her and nearly choking her to death. So I'm like, oh, this is clearly a woman with a mental disorder. There's no doubt in my mind. And yet that kind of gets swept away. I'm like, but what? why did that happen? Why did she ha see that? This wasn't in the house either. This is in the asylum. Why did that happen? It, it, went, it stopped being a haunted house story at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think what would have made it work if the ending was bittersweet and were in her mental disorder got addressed, but because it's a saccharine ending, I'm just like... Look, all it would have taken for me personally to give the ending a pass was to say, like, I went through years of therapy and I started to see them less and less, even if they were comforting. Like, she actually admits where there's a fault or a flaw or something, you know? But she doesn't. And actually, I feel like there's a couple of lines in the end there where she talks about how she's grateful for the people who she's still grateful or, or is, is sad, but grateful that the people who came before her who died so she could live. I'm like, that feels so overwhelmingly selfish, mm -hmm. Dixie. Like all of this was just, uh, according to the narrative of the story, uh, you know, just this weird thing orchestrated by Ford because Ford is a fucking sociopath. Question. Did you also figure out it was Ford early on? Yes. Mm -hmm. There was a point cause I finished the book was talking with David and he was saying like it's not her dad is it I'm like do you want me to give you the ending and, and I said no it's Ford and I just nodded my head she's like yeah I fucking knew it I mean Dixie couldn't see it I could see it I saw it coming a mile away there were a couple times where I was like okay well what if it turns out to be a little more interesting and that's actually like Rory or Garrett and I was like okay it's definitely not Garrett he's just He's just there to be a good boy, I guess. And then I was like, really hoping it was Rory. And I was like, hopeful for a bit. And she's like, no, okay. 
I don't know. I was also like, maybe it's not Ford because it just also like didn't feel right. Like his reveal of like, he's the one who started the fire. You don't even have that conclusive evidence that Billy started the fire. You're you're just like, okay, but I don't know. It was all just really, really. He's, he, he clearly had a complex against Billy early on. Mm. And he was just like, oh, when something bad, the ultimate bad thing happens to me, I'm just going to blame Billy because I have this one tangential piece of evidence. I saw him playing with matches once. That confirms it. That confirms that he started the fire that killed my family. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, the moment, there was a moment where when they mentioned the fire and I was like, and the scar on his face, there's a narrative thing in my head that went, he's, this is going to come into play later. Oh, this is probably a revenge scheme by Ford because he lost his family. So he's going to make sure Billy lost his family. And there was only one survivor of that too. And it just clicked immediately. So... I think it would have been more interesting if it turned out it was her aunt or maybe even Detective Collins or something like that. (laughs) I don't know why they would have done it, but it would be interesting. I have a love-hate relationship with the climax because I hate how long ago it goes through when she, like, Ford's there. He's basically recreating this, the whole scenario, trying to eventually frame Dixie. In one sense, I hate it because I'm like, my God, this is too much exposition. But then another thing, idea, I love it because, boy, howdy, does it build the tension so much. But it is over the course of quite a few chapters. Yeah, there was there was definitely tension. There was a point where, um, you know, he, he stabs Vicky because it's Vicky and her kids. Yes. He brings over and, you know, abducts. Uh, he stabs Vicky in the gut. I had a feeling, though, that she was going to survive because it's never specified that she's fucking dead. So... For me, there was no tension. For me, it dragged on. One, I do think Vicky should have died. Uh, that yeah. was like the only yeah. moment where I was like, I think there was a moment where I initially misread where I think she, it's like Ford kind of chops down on her head with his hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He like karate chop. I had misread that they had brought an axe down through her head. Because I was listening to the audio and because I was already just kind of pushing myself through finishing it. I was doing a hundred different things while listening. Mm. So I I misheard and thought she was dead. And then when I realized, oh, no, she's just fine. I was like really disappointed because I was like, oh, for an instance, I was like, shit, like like an actual like shit moment. But then when she got stabbed, I was like, if she doesn't die, I'm going to be a little disappointed because I feel like there is. I don't know. No, nothing was lost. And the whole scene for me was dragging out because of all the exposition. And then Dixie wasn't doing anything. There were so many little things of like, oh, can you do something right here? No. Oh, is this like an opportunity? No. And like, even when it comes down to like her finally killing him, he gave her the opportunity. She didn't do anything to really earn that kill. So I was just like, yeah. This was mid. So there's a lot of things that don't add up with Dixie. For example, David actually had to remind me because I was like, does she work? I've never (laughs) seen her work once. And he's like, well, doesn't she mention she used to work? She works at a restaurant. I'm like, but she doesn't ever once go to her job. I I There's there's a bit where they talk about how she's taking time off for the move. She does say that. She does. But I feel like that's a cop out as someone who has moved multiple times. What restaurant job is allowing their... <laughs> Seriously, no restaurant job unless you own the restaurant. No one's going to let you take time off from a restaurant just to move. I'm, I'm still surprised that Dixie could even afford the house. I guess it was so... I no, guess it was... she was renting it, remember? Oh, that's right. It became a rent because the owners were so desperate to get rid of it. Yeah. They're like, we'll let you rent to buy. Can I Can I also bring something up? Because mm-hmm. the you, you were talking about a lot of the things that don't add up. Mm-hmm. Uh... And I'll get to some of the stuff that I liked because I feel like we are ragging on this quite a bit because, yeah, I ultimately I was kind of disappointed. I liked parts of it a lot, but mm-hmm. ultimately I was left with this just like, but, but another thing that bugged me was Rory being Ford's henchman through the majority yeah. of the thing, as it turned out. I'm like, what, why, 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 what? I didn't quite understand what it was that Ford held over Rory that would keep him doing that for like 25, 25 years. years. So to the point where he became an accomplice to try and essentially uh, cause Dixie to kill herself. I think it would have been more likely that Rory was the killer. Yeah, I felt like that made so much more sense because he like 
shows up out of the blue because she's like piecing shit together and so he wants to get close to her to like keep her from figuring shit out it just made so much more sense because that was another thing that confused me too i'm like this is a woman i mean yes she was young she was in her early 20s but she did stalk him and Mm -hmm. did things that i'm like um i can't imagine any normal person after this it immediately made me dislike her by the way just the the fact that she did those things to Rory. Yeah, I I disliked her, but I didn't. I was still curious about her. I think that. Was, yeah, I mean, I'm saying, like I said, there was a, there was points in the book where she would do things. I'm like, that's not cool. It makes me not like you as a person. I'm interested in where you're going as a character, but it makes me not like you as a person. Mm-hmm. So, and there things like that kept coming up. There would be things she'd do. I'm like, wow, you're kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> I don't think it was so much her actions, like the things that she actually did. In terms of, like, okay, she broke into Roy's place and stuck into his bed, or she grabbed his crotch. It was more just the way she dismissed it. Yeah. Or or justified it. Yeah. Thank you for articulating that, because that's kind of what I was trying to get to. It's not just Mm -hmm. that. It's the way that she hand-waves stuff. Well, she, like I said, there was a point where she kind of hand-waved the whole fact that Garrett basically mistaken that uh, she had slept with Rory. But she hand-waved it in a way where it's like, oh, clear. It was really nothing, so... Yeah, Garrett's going to totally come back to me anyway. Like, it almost had that sort of mindset. Again, I've known people like this. So I can believe someone would do be like this. Yeah, it's not for believability. It's just for that. But, like, to me, the believability gets stretched with characters like Rory, who, again, I maybe I missed something. I don't know. It just seemed weird that Ford had this hold over him like this. Because my favorite parts in this, and that's why the scene is so disappointing, was the moments where she had visions. I think the whole scene where she's remembering how she killed Leah was actually a really good chapter. No, that worked for me too. Because it kind of set a precedent for what kind of person she is later on. But I also like the scene with Rory. The way she's talking, she sounds like a villain. And like her saying like, I just can't believe you didn't even guess it early on. I'm Debbie. And I'm like, like that is such a villain way to talk. Yeah. And then for him to say, you're sick, you're, I'm calling cops on you. And then a vision of her father comes and beats the shit out of him. I enjoyed that scene. I really did. There's a lot of scenes I enjoyed. I don't think it quite mashes together as well. So we did get questions from Bringer. But the one thing he noted, and I didn't think about it until he noted this, he said, had so much Giallo vibes. Ha! See, I actually read that comment earlier, and it actually turned a switch in my head about the book. If I picture the visuals in this book and the way this book was presented, if this was adapted into a movie, but the movie was done in the style of a giallo film. Do you want to explain what a giallo film is? So a giallo film is like a, a ta- essentially like an Italian horror movie. Um, there's a certain style to it. Usually it's very high. It's, a lot of it can be very stylized. Oftentimes it's done on a budget. It's usually very gory, very surreal. I think the most well-known example of a, a quote-unquote giallo, the verdict might be out for some people, is Suspiria. Suspiria is, is touted as an example of a giallo film. Picturing the movie like that, and especially the way it ends with this kind of like almost strange, almost unrealistically happy ending in the face of all this horror, could roll that way if it was a giallo film. I've seen that come up before. I'm trying to think of specific examples and I'm having, I'm struggling with that right now. I'm sure people out there will have a sense of what I'm talking about, but yeah, when bringers brought that up, I, my brain kind of did a 180 on the story, but that's to me the only context where it works. If you read this, like you're reading a Jalo film and picturing that like a Jalo film in your head, it's like, okay, this kind of works. <laughs> I think the key word there for me is kind of. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It doesn't completely salvage the book for me. And I don't want to be ragging too hard. As far as I understand, this is T. Marie Vandelli's first published novel. Yes. And while I ultimately came away from this being kind of disappointed, but still, I still enjoyed big parts of it. I still enjoyed the voice. I still enjoyed the writing. And I don't want to necessarily be throwing shade in that degree. It just didn't work for me the way I was hoping it would. Same. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not the worst thing we've read. There were definitely some scenes 
that were fun to read, like the the fight with Rory, the memory with Leah. And I also really enjoyed Mr. Collins. Like out of yeah, all the characters, I- he was like the one that I was like, okay, you're cool. You're cool in my book. You're the only one I like. Mr. Collins and, and Dingles, or what's the dog's Dingle. name? Dingles! Dingles! Dingle the Bulldog, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I will say Mr. Collins was my favorite character, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I hope he's not the... I, that'd be interesting if he was the killer, but I hope he's not, because I really like this this man, and mm-hmm. I totally want to hang out with him and have coffee with him. Yeah, actually, my all the stuff with Dixie and Mr. Collins, he is such a good influence on her life. It's so weird how he becomes this almost like father figure to her. Yeah, like, and I, I'm in the boat of like, she is not worthy of him. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, the only like good thing that you've ever done, Dixie, is like promise to make Mr. Collins dinner and you didn't even do that. So <laughs> uh, you are on my shit list. But yeah. um, there was actually a point while I was reading the book where I was like, wasn't she supposed to make Mr. Collins dinner? <laughs> <laughs> that is my only concern right now. Forget your murdered family. Where is Mr. Collins dinner? <laughs> He, you interrupted him watching the game. He yeah. really wanted to watch the game. <laughs> you could have at least made him dinner. How dare you? Let the man watch his game. Come on. Uh, Mr. Collins was great. I loved him. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I'm really like shitting on this book. When it really... It was not for me, but I feel like I definitely was already judging it pretty hard when I was, because com- I was immediately comparing it to one of my favorite books. Right. So I would say my criticism comes from a place of like, it almost works. And yeah, that's to me the thing. Because I, I feel like as a, as someone who is critical of the work, I'm going, but if you'd swung it this way, maybe it'd work better. I don't know. I'm not the author. I don't really have the same intention behind this, but mm-hmm. for me, what worked things that did work, I was almost like, Oh Oh, you were so close to having this work for me, you know? I have a feeling among the things we're reading this season, it might be the the weak link of the bunch, but I don't know. We'll see. I did start already on All Hallows' Eve earlier today, and I am already immensely much more invested in all three of the characters that were introduced thus far I haven't even started it yet. So. Yeah, I've started it and I'm already like, okay, okay. I'm liking this cast so far. I'm liking this setup. I I don't know where it's going because I have absolutely no knowledge of like what this is aside from it being set all around Halloween. Unless The Silent Companion is like a total flop. This might be our weakest of the season. But mm-hmm. not the worst out of our entire catalog of what we've read. I'll stress that again because I know <laughs> just being fair. really mean to this book. I do yeah. want to point out one thing that really bothered me about the characters and I think that re- for me extended to possibly to the author. There was that point where they're like, oh, they they wrote fuck on the, on the axe, right? That could be, that's the... <gasps> Like, okay, that's this part. What other F word is there? I thought and the my mind, same My thing. mind immediately went to faggot. Yeah. I, and and that, that moment I was like, oh shit, are we going to go there? This is interesting. That's like a curveball. Like, why would they write faggot? And they're like, no, there is no other F word. And I was like, what do you mean but, there's no other F there word? Is. There is. There is. And then, and then the implications, like you said, the implications are huge. Like, was this a hate crime? Like, yeah. Right. I know right. my brain thought the exact same thing because he's like she's like was it fucking he said no and then my brain was like oh it's faggot oh my god but you know what in the same breath that sort of thing is believable for something in a small town Virginia <laughs> like as weird yeah. as that sounds I believe Mr. Collins would say something like that but yeah, I had that same thought too as I was as I, I was reading. That it. just it left it rubbed me the wrong way. So that was just another thing that put a sour taste in my mouth of like, okay, they're, if your characters, maybe it's just because like, okay, makes sense for the settings, but if your characters are is like already like a kid rock fan and like does not acknowledge <laughs> that like I forgot about the that. Word, that there's right. the word faggot and so obviously does not have any like queer representation in your life then like okay then you're not gonna dixie sorry we would not get along we would not work in the same circles but like you know, that's just one little thing nothing that like ruins say the rest of the book but that was just one thing that like outside of the writing rubbed me the wrong way although it's weird that ford is written on the axe 
Oh, then again. Well, look, wasn't Rory putting that there to try and make yeah, evidence? Yeah, that was Rory. Oh, that's right. Because Rory, Rory was, I mean, the, the impression I got was Rory was essentially coerced into all of this by mm-hmm. Ford. And again, I think holding maybe, oh, I'll kill you or some bullshit like that. He had something over him, but it just felt like 25 years is a long time to not be like, hey, by the way, I know who fucking murdered the Wheeler family. I just find it wild that this this man in his 40s is acting this way. But then again, he's from uh, Virginia. Too, again, though. I just want to put that clear, make that clear. It's small town, Virginia, but yeah. I don't care. These are not people I would be friends with or spend time with. Except but Mr. I, Collins. But I, except for Mr. Collins. Except for Mr. Collins. <laughs> Col- we, we can hang out, even though he doesn't know Baggett is a bad word. Or did, it didn't <laughs> cross his mind. mind. One thing Dale I liked about Mr. Collins is that he, he, he knows the guy at the asylum, Dr. Cheatham, but calls him Ham. Like, it's like an affectionate friend name. Like, he just calls him Ham. I'm like, that's that's kind of endearing. Yeah. I like he's that. Got, uh, he's apparently got a lot of friends in different places because he was also, like, friends with the judge. Because he's so fucking likable. Well, he's he was also a detective, and yeah, yeah, you uh, probably had to make connections that way. It's a little too convenient for Dixie and for my taste. I do feel like you know she should have at least served some time for assaulting uh, Rory. It should have been a bittersweet ending. Spoilers for the end of Fight Club, the novel. Maybe something like the end of Fight Club, where she thinks everything's nice and pretty, but it turns out she's also now in an asylum or is in jail or something like that, or. There's something where the one thing I could see that might work just to tweak it a little bit is that she if she saw Rory. Oh, like she ghost, started seeing Rory's, Rory's ghost. ghost and it was following her. Ooh. Like something with that like at least punishes her in some way. Yeah. I think she was intended to be an unlikable character. There are so many things that she does that and it's put ahead of time. Like the stuff that she does like stalking and all that. It's not cute. It's it's unappealing. And even that whole thing where she's talking with Rory, she sounds like a villain. Like, uh-huh. her whole speech is like, that's a villain. So I feel like I wanted something bad to have her do. Yes, technically she went through hell in uh-huh. the climax scene. But, and, you know, and she spent 25 years essentially dealing with kind of psychological bullshit anyway. But, but... The, it should have had some sort of, there should have been something that, in the end, that should have negative that happens yeah. to her. I wonder if we're feeling that way because it doesn't feel like she grew at all as a person. No. Like, Mm-mm. she did have some revelation of, like, oh, my daddy actually did love me. But, like, we don't we don't see any real growth in her as a character. So maybe that's why we're like, maybe she should have been punished then at the end because she didn't grow as a character. And that's her, you know, her shortcoming. She should then be punished because she didn't grow. I don't know. That's just... Should we go ahead and address Bringer's questions? Yeah. That might be a yes. good way to close this out. Oh, actually, we, the last minute, uh, I'll, I'll address Bringer's questions first, but Urkelbot666, he had told me ahead of time that he had questions and would send it to me. And I said, well, we're recording tonight. So he just sent it six minutes ago. So. Holy shit. Good job, Dan. Actually, if you want to get your questions to us much more quickly, or you want to talk with us about the books we read, join our Discord by joining our Patreon. David, do you want to give information on the Patreon since you're updating it? Patreon.com slash Midnight Marinara is the current home of it. That address may change as we slowly shift it over to the Creative Horror Patreon. But for now, that's where you go. Joining that Patreon will get you access to not only all the extra backlog features of both Midnight Marinara and Undercooked Analysis, a bunch of extra content, but also gives you access to our community Discord for Creative Horror, where people have joined us in the discussion for this and many other books. Questions from Bringer? Thank you, Bringer. The first one, is this how you afford a house? Yeah, I think we addressed that because that's just a big, I don't know. Do you think Ford actually cared about his daughter, Leah? Oh, actually, that's a good question. Um, no. <laughs> I think he did. Uh, I think what, what Cecile, was that her name, uh, said about Ford, like, being like he loved her so much he couldn't bear to see her die. I, you know, if he was so stricken over the loss of his sister, I think it was possible that he had compassion for his daughter. I think so, too. I think people forget that, like, even evil people have to show some sort of, have some sort of feeling in some way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to manipulate. I think, yeah, I think he cared about Leah in his own way. 
It might not be a great loving way, but I, I think he did care about her. Is our main character actually a murderer, or is Aaron's death really an accident? We didn't really talk about that. that That's was... also really hard to say, because I feel like Aaron's death was still caused by selfish reasons, because I'm pretty sure the only reason Dixie got close to Aaron was she was still in her stalking Rory phase. I would say, is this technically manslaughter, maybe, instead of murder? I truly believe that she did get close to Aaron just so she could get close to Rory, because like you said, oh, yeah. Rory's stalking phase. I think they did get into an argument, and I think mm -hmm. in the heat of the moment, she did push her a bit too hard, and she probably did fall down the stairs. I do believe that. That's still not good. She still technically murdered her. Was she the cause of the, her death? For sure. Yes. For sure. Mm -hmm. I don't think That's it was her. That's another thing that didn't get explored well enough in the book, I don't think. Mm -hmm. yeah. was her relationship with Aaron. Like, okay, fine that they didn't, like, if she was just, like, friends with her for the sake of, like, getting close to Rory and maybe getting information on Rory, because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm your friend, tell me about your boyfriend. You know, that's another thing where it was like, okay, she expresses some remorse over, like, helping, you know, murdering Leah, but she, like, seemed to have, like, zero guilt over Aaron's death. Yeah, the impression yeah. I got was that she had, like, actually formed, like, she didn't go into this expecting to become a friend of Aaron's and she it's like she did become Aaron's friend but I don't know what to believe with Dixie like at a certain point ever so unreliable narrator that that's why I do think she should have been punished at the end in, in some way like the ending should have been could could uh, yeah, yeah something look I again I will even accept the and then everything was okay but it took this and just to have mm -hmm. her have some fucking humility yeah. That's all I'm asking for. I do believe she didn't intend to murder Aaron, mm -hmm. but she, I believe she did, though. Whether it was in the heat of the moment and she pushed her, it was she tried to walk away, Aaron grabbed at her and she pushed her off and she fell, like, either way. For me, it came across as, like, she only became friends with her with the intention of getting close to Rory. Absolutely. And then there is the fact that, okay, push was an accident, but she still walked away and left her for dead. And then even when, like, thinking back on it or, like, expressing it, like, confessing to Rory about it, there was never any kind of, like, remorse or sense of regret, whether, like, verbally expressed to another character or, like, in her internal dialogue. Like, I never got that feeling of just, like, oh, yeah, you know, that was a thing that happened. Shit. Why would she change her name if she really was Aaron's friend? Like, why would she lie and say her name is Debbie? If she started out in the lie and then now had to cover her ass. Yeah. Like, she's like, I'm just doing this for this ulterior motive. Oh, no, I actually kind of like this person. Now I kind of have to live with the lie. Dixie lies a lot, though, in the oh, story. Yeah. And then rolls with it. And then doesn't feel bad that she lied, either. She's a liar. She's a narcissist. <laughs> she's got big, big issues and little remorse. Even with Claire... Like we haven't, I don't think we've touched on her at all. Not really. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, she's like, oh, shit, did I murder this woman? There's never, there's, again, no guilt. Even when it's like, oh, okay, I'm pretty sure I didn't murder this woman. But, oh, no, I feel terrible that, like, circumstances, like, related to me caused her death. Like, no, it's just like, I don't know. Sorry, I don't like you, Dixie. <laughs> but are we supposed to like Dixie? See, I don't know. I I honestly thought throughout the book that we weren't supposed to like her. If that's the case, I still think she should have been punished in some way. Correct. Yes. At the end, right? Or yeah. like grown or punished something at the end to make us feel like she got her comeuppance, right? Correct. But if it was intentional that we were supposed to dislike Dixie, great. Did a fabulous job there. <laughs> yes. But like... You know me, I love me a villain character. I love playing villain characters. But I I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I like the intentional villain characters. I know they're a villain. I don't know. This was, I'm going to have to sit down and think about this. I mean, I'm okay if she didn't know she was a villain. Because for the most part, villains don't think they're villains. Right. What's next? How and why Rory? How did he help Ford after all these years? Why did he never confess that? I, we already talked we, about that a bit. We, I don't we tried to figure it out because it really makes, initially it makes sense. He, Rory as a child is terrified of Ford, right? And like, let's acknowledge for a moment the fact of like how brave it was for Rory to like try to, you know, say that it was Ford by writing it on the, on the axe. But after that being like, okay, 
would make sense for a few years, you know, into early adulthood, he would be too terrified of Ford. But then, like, what did Ford have on him that made him keep... Because obviously, like, oh, he had pot in Josh's room. That's that's not enough. That doesn't make sense. He wouldn't stay quiet over that still. But, like, yeah, why not tell Dixie or the cops or even Claire the fucking truth, right? Yeah. And why help him now? Like, why not just drive the fuck away to another state and be like, I'm not involved in this anymore? So we don't know, Bringer. It does not make sense. Yeah, we're with you, Bringer. Do you think Ford has committed other murders since he is always away from home and boasts about other serial killers? I don't think so. I don't think so either. It seemed like, admittedly, like he, he revels in this, but it, it, this felt like this the felt, most extreme kind of crime of passion. This, this felt personal, but then it, his kind of madness breaking in suddenly being going full board serial killer at the end. Yeah. It was for him. It was like, I have to do this. I am so crazy because I, I believe that I, I know I'm crazy because I believe that I have to do this was kind of his thing. Cause it was like, he was talking about how like, Oh, maybe I should only kill Billy Dixie's father. Cause man, his wife and kids don't really deserve this. But like, no, the whole point is that I gotta make him lose his whole family, right? He was even talking about, like, how he had almost done something once, but Cecile or somebody else walked in and he didn't want to do it. Didn't want to also kill them. But then he does attempt to kill his wife because they find Cecile, like, beaten <laughs> later at some yeah, point. Yeah, that's right. Right? Because she had walked in and found Rory, you know, restrained downstairs in the basement or something. So and he, it was like, all hit her like, with a hammer or something. He was only killing because he had to. In his crazed mind, he had to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, he had to kill Claire. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he was, like, taking trips out of state and then killing a bunch of random people. No. I mean, one of the early warning signs is after Claire died was Aunt Celia commenting that she saw he's like oh ford was out last night and he came back and he must have gotten in a fight or something like oh my god it's right there yeah that when i saw that i'm like hmm really if the police knew rory was in the house why wouldn't they press him for more info didn't they they didn't colin's had said that like oh yeah i i knew rory was lying oh yeah i this is i feel like this is a case of police men don't do their job I mean, in re okay, in reality, <laughs> a cab. Yes, a cab. In reality, we, we have we have terrible, like at solving fucking murders. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, police negligence. It happens in in the context of like characters being logical. It no, it doesn't make sense that no. if he suspected Rory wasn't telling the truth, why wouldn't he question him further? That that doesn't logically make sense. Bringer said, super, super love this book. Had so much Giallo vibes. Loved it. And Garrett is best boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, Garrett is too Garrett is too good for Dixie. Garrett is absolutely Garrett good. Garrett is too is very good for Dixie, but also he's a really quick character, in my opinion. Glad that you enjoyed this book, Bringer, because yeah. someone had to enjoy it. And, you know, again, it's we've read better, but we've definitely read worse. I didn't hate it. Yeah. I, and exactly. I, I told you there were parts of it where I was, I was, I was, you know, reading through it, going, this is a good breezy read. I'm looking for, I, you know, I'd sit down and read it and didn't have any issues. And there were parts of it I did like. It's just overall, I was left kind of disappointed. So everybody got a different opinion and that's cool. I, so Urkabot666 actually said, like the story a lot, really enjoyed being in Dixie's head and seeing, hearing her thought and rationalizations for everything. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, again, if, if, if Dixie is to, intended to be unlikable, then that's perfect. Then that mm-hmm. works, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Question. What kinds of hauntings do you think the family did prior to the Dixie moving back? Just incidental stuff? Kids running around and causing ruckus? And that is assuming that the hauntings are real. Because I, I think we, didn't we kind of collectively rule out that there were no ghosts? Or were there? I well, don't know. Because well, Dixie explained that she's had these issues since she was a kid, but they faded and only came back when she went to the house. I think... I I assume it's not real ghosts. I assume it's all on her head. There is... I don't know if it teases the possibility that they might actually be ghosts, but I don't think so. Dan does bring up a point. You realize that 
there are families before this and like the family was so desperate to sell this house right. because they dealt with so many weird shit. I think that what the book is saying is that yes, there are actual ghosts. Her family are actual ghosts here in this house. And some of the instances when she's in the house is the ghost. Some of it is Ford sneaking around trying to make things be spooky. Some of it after, you know, in the happy ending, those are all ghosts. Those aren't, those aren't in Dixie's head because she never addressed a mental problem because she doesn't have a mental problem. What we recognize as a mental problem in Dixie, I don't think was intentionally, at least not fully meant to be like, oh, this girl's got problems. Which is weird because it it feels kind of disingenuous considering that she has these incidents outside Mm -hmm. of the house too. And she did see Billy's ghost despite the fact that Billy is still alive. Billy, the manifestation of Billy's shadow that, like, made her, that acted on her behalf, that, I think, is supposed to be in her head. Right, but, like, what about well, the, the what, phantasms she saw of him with the family in the house? And what about when she was in the asylum? Let's not, that's the one thing that really gets me, is the fact she was in the asylum talking to her dad. Mm-hmm. No, I think that was all, like, supposed to be in her head. Yeah, so to me, it's impossible to set to, to separate it. And to me, I lean toward, it makes me lean more toward, well, pretty much everything in that she we experience through her is a, is a hallucination. It could be, mm-hmm. it could be exacerbated by the house itself. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a little bit of everything. Maybe while she's in the house, it's just playing. Maybe the house is playing off of her, her, you know, her psyche. She, it's imprinting on her what she already projects out to it. I don't know. Because she admits she has blackouts. She has admitted she admitted that to Garrett. She admitted that she has these visions. Well, she it, only admitted she has the blackouts about conjuring her father. And those only come in the instances when she's like, someone has died. Like when she, when she killed Leah. Yeah. But mm-hmm. blames it on her father. But that was, but that also happened with Aaron. Because remember, there's a point with Aaron that she mentioned she had blacked out. Yeah. And then woke up like. Right. But she doesn't mention anything about the hauntings to him. These are all, like, the instances where she thinks it's the ghosts of her family. Also surprised that she didn't mention Aaron to uh, Garrett at all. That no, didn't... no, yeah. guilty conscience I, much. I really no, think really. that it makes the most sense that all of the hauntings that uh, Dixie is witness to is all part of her mental illness. You know, everything before and after and the happy ending right now. Yeah. I think what the book is trying to do is trying to have that mental illness and ghosts. It's trying yeah. to, you know, have the cake yes. and eat it too, which I don't think works. I it confuses it the issue, in my yeah. opinion. Pick one or the other. And you could red herring it. I get that this book is trying to do red herrings to maintain the mystery, but it I don't think it ties it tries to tie a bunch of stuff up and it leaves me going, wait, but then then what was all this? You know? But the families do they do sense hauntings that do occur. Like, previ- I mean, there was that whole conversation she had with Vicky about, like, Vicky saying, oh, yeah, with the previous family, when we visited them, they we saw we noticed this happened and this happened. I think if that would have been played off more as, oh, typical ghost thing, because there's times where people have said things, and I'm like, it's like, yeah, I felt a chill when I walked by the kitchen. Like, if it was something like... the fridge open. <laughs> yeah. No, I think... I mean, you can also just, like... It's a murder house. Obviously, the family, if they're aware that they're living in a murder house, they're gonna hear, you know... They're gonna feel a brush of wind on, on them and be like, oh, something touched me. Or they're gonna hear a creak and they're like, oh, what is that? Because they're living in a fucking murder house. And then people basically get told this and then they're like, oh, it's not a big deal. And then it's like, well... You know, it's probably haunted. And then eventually mm-hmm. it gets into their head that it's probably is haunted. And then we're also hearing this from Vicky, who is the gossip, right? Yeah. Yeah. Who is going to embellish the details. So, by the way, I also love her fucking husband as well. <laughs> I love how blunt he is. Oh, Nick? Nick. I actually genuinely like Nick. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, this is Dixie Wheeler. And yeah, I know it's Dixie. <laughs> or the fact it's like, she's like, please don't tell anyone. And then. Nick's like, yeah, be- <laughs> tough luck. You're just told the town gossip. Because he's like, come on. He's like, nah, she really is. She tells everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> just his asshole husband. 
kind of Nick knows what's up. Yeah, I I, I also kind of liked him too. Not yeah. someone I would want to hang out with. And like, he didn't not, do that much. Not, let's be fair, not like Mr. Yeah. Collins, but as a character, I liked. Yeah, that's him. fair. And then Dan's last question: How did you feel about Ford sneaking in and moving shit around the house? I know it was crucial <laughs> to the plot, but I might have preferred the moving items to have been chalked up as Dixie's altered mental state instead of Ford being villain. Agreed. Agreed. It was a yeah. little silly. Like, to me, it's almost Scooby-Doo logic. Yeah, that's exactly the image that I had in my head of, the like, walking around on tiptoes. So. <laughs> I think of that line from Ickbar Bigglestein, like, I'd come home and Ick had hung up additional curtains. <laughs> Ford is just in there redecorating when Dexie isn't looking. Like, <laughs> No, I would have liked it. I would have preferred it if it was just... Yeah, I mean, she has blackouts. She, I think it would have preferred it if it was just all in her head sort of thing. And She look, did? I'll, Listen, hey. this is also someone who did suffer a mild to serious concussion because she literally got clubbed in the head and was unconscious for two hours. Oh, yeah. At one point. Never goes to get that addressed, you know? Also, with someone with ADHD, that shit happens to me all the time. <laughs> Fuck, I thought I put my keys here. Where's my keys? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. So Ford was just trying to convince Dixie that she had ADHD. (laughs) Oh, trust me. There have been moments where I'm like, I can't find my cell phone. I looked in the couch cushions multiple times, and then I check like a fifth time, and there there it is. Mm -hmm. I I don't really think we need Ford to be moving shit in secret. I mean, I don't mind the idea that he's coming in and trying to manipulate things, but the idea of him just moving shit around, it's a little silly. Just a little. Just a little. Does that cover us for the questions? Yep. That's all the questions we have. Do we have any final thoughts? Everything I said already. I don't think I got anything else. No. Dingle the Bulldog is great, though. God bless Dingle the Bulldog. Bless you, Dingle. All right. Well, uh, hey, gang. Thanks for coming and joining us for this discussion. And yeah, as Sade already mentioned, it looks like we got something fun on the horizon, something festive for the coming season, because we're covering uh, Christopher Golden's All Hallows. I know nothing of this novel, and I'm looking forward to it. Also, the fact that this is going to be released on October, Friday the 13th. (laughs) I love it. I didn't realize it was going to be Friday the 13th. Yep, it's going to be a Friday the 13th in October this year. Oh, hell yeah. We we do got to add that uh, because I will be traveling those first two weeks of October, we are going to be recording earlier than we normally would probably closer to the end of September than early October because I leave on the 5th so we are going to be asking for questions well in advance this time so to our our readers and our listeners who who are always really great about sending us questions just a heads up make sure to get your questions in by then and I will be putting a call out probably a week before that if you like what you hear, check out our other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network. Uh, we have other cool podcasts like Undercooked Analysis or The Jameson Tapes. And then uh, our old podcasts like Trick or Track or In the Witching Hour. You can check us out at creativehorror.com or check us out on YouTube. Just type up Creative Horror and we're the first that pops up. And you just find that little three, three-eye design that uh, Sade created. <laughs> it rules. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm not sure how to end this after t- complaining about endings. For- I mean, we, we usually blow out the candles, but I, I, it seemed like we should maybe play some, some music, but I think I'm getting a little sick of uh, Baby Blue. How do y'all feel about Rhiannon? <laughs> sure. All right. I always did like that song better. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinara, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>